Welcome back. Yeah, episode one million of the Cold Popcast. <laughs> episode two twenty something. We're up there. Could be two thirty. Who if, knows? If we're we're like serialized television in the golden age of television with there's like a million episodes. That's true. Today we're going to be talking about something uh, that we talked about a little less than a year ago, probably like nine months ago. We're going to be talking about Atlanta season four. Yeah, the the return. <laughs> The finale. It came and went. (laughs) Yes, it did. Atlanta season three and season four came out in the same year, in 2022. They filmed them basically back to back and released them about, it was like six to eight months apart. Yeah, about that. Really interesting the way that they did that. And we'll talk more about that. But let's introduce our guest. We have a special guest with us. Gabe, ask me who it is. Back due to popular demand. Who is it, Stephen? Who's with us in the studio today? His name <laughs> is the one and only Tim Amick. Woo! Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. We're happy to have you. The last time you were on, we talked about Obi-Wan, right? For quite a while. Yeah. It's a long conversation. <laughs> was it the Obi-Wan Disney Plus series? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, Definitely. I've been thinking for a long time how to get you back on sooner rather than later. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we're recording Atlanta. And I know Tim loves that show. And I know you have like personal experience like <laughs> with with the people involved with that show. But one thing I don't know is like your passion for the show and your love for it and even what you think about it. Because we I don't think we've ever talked about it together no other than that i watch it and yeah i think it's great in general yeah but yeah i really i feel very comfortable coming on with some deep (laughs) deep expertise in the show which is that i have watched it and i have enjoyed it thoroughly and i also went to donald glover's house for a party uh (laughs) over 10 years ago uh uh, that that is that is my deep expertise that that gives me the right to be on the show today. <laughs> you have history, yeah. <laughs> I I do I do have some history. I want to just say really quick before we jump into that story yes. and and your background with and love for Atlanta, I want to say that we extensively had an, a totally different guest. Her name was Kenyetta. She was from a, another podcast called Kenyetta and Jack Save the World. She was wonderful. She came on for season three and we, it was a long conversation. I think I edited it down a lot, but she was super insightful and helpful to have on. And we talked about a lot of the themes of the show, which are like surrealism, absurdism, Afro surrealism. And uh, it was a really, really good conversation. And I would highly recommend anyone listening to this. If, if we're not going to cover like the entirety of what Atlanta is about and it's absurdist, surrealist nature, Go listen to that episode first and then come back and listen to us talk about season four, because this is uh, in many ways like a spiritual successor to that other episode. So was that the one where we talked about Afro surrealism? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I just checked that out and I would say without even having any knowledge of what we're going to say. You should definitely listen to that one because your guest was awesome. And She's super. She, she really gave a lot of good insight uh, that that uh, someone who just like went to Donald Glover's house one time <laughs> can't necessarily offer. So uh, you you know him. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say I know him, but I definitely did go to his house. Yeah. No, she she was great. I I could not have asked for a better guest and and a better conversation, especially 
And she's also really knowledgeable about the history of what they were doing in season three. And this is something else we'll give a little bit of context about the background between three and four. Again, before we jump into more conversation, season three was a little bit of a departure for the show. Seasons one and two took place in Atlanta. Season three primarily took place overseas in different parts in Europe as they were on tour or traveling. And there was a lot of question about whether or not it was happening. (laughs) It was happening at all or like when it took place because there was talk about going overseas and then it seemed like it jumped to two or three uh, uh, years later as if they had gone over a couple times. So many loose storylines, but there's a lot of stuff that happened there as they were in Europe. And then season four picked up. You don't really know how much time has passed. I think they referenced Europe once or Amsterdam or something. But it this season came back to what we know and love about Atlanta, which is being back in Atlanta, Georgia, and experiencing kind of a lot more things that transpire within the city of Atlanta. Some more normal than others. But again, a lot of surrealism, a lot of absurdism, a lot of sensationalism. And it's, it's part of what we're going to be talking about today and what makes Atlanta such a great show. And something I called on the last podcast, I personally think it will be known in the historic catalog for being uh, something that really goes down for representing a people group and a movement in the most artistic way. I don't think there's ever been anything as high art that dips its toe into surrealism in the way that Atlanta does that is also mainstream at the same time. And this is where we'll pick up with you, Tim, in the conversation, because you kind of were like on the Donald Glover train before he hit mainstream. Like this is like before community that you kind of caught on to him, right? Yeah, I think it was right around. I think his rap career started before community, but I would say I became aware of it at the very beginning of community. And, and if you listen to his early stuff, which like uh, his early EPs and things that aren't on Spotify or Apple Music or anything, you can literally hear in the lyrics, he's very autobiographical about it. He talks about how Tina Fey was an inspiration because he was writing on 30 Rock when he was young and things mm-hmm. like that. So I'm not sure if it was pre-community, but it was definitely very early and, and went to his first LA rap show ever. Uh, what? And... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like early in the sense he was an MC before he was a rapper and he was doing that like at college and then started putting out EPs with his own lyrics on it. But like he kind of was known mostly for like rapping over indie music, which like not a lot of people had done yet. Oh, uh, interesting. And, and so there's some like really good early stuff where he raps over like Adele tracks and a lot of good stuff. But anyways, so That's cool. it's interesting because if you listen to his the type of art he's put out that is his words, which is his rap, his comedy. Mm -hmm. And then now to me, you know, Atlanta is for sure a a group effort, of course, but I really actually in thinking back on it after season four, think that there's a lot to it that shows sort of, you mentioned it, like it represents a a group of people, a culture, Mm -hmm. but also if you just look at Donald Glover's past and Mm -hmm. his like, he has some connection to these roots that he has. And then he also like hit it big and has become successful and is 
presumably fairly well off and doesn't have to worry about money. And actually, I think it's really important this season four coming back to Atlanta. Yeah, it's coming back to Atlanta, but it's coming back to Atlanta where like resources are not the problem for them anymore. Right. And yet there are still problems. And I think that's a really, really important distinction about what season four brings to the for a show that's not really about overall like episode after episode story progression, including Mm -hmm. certain episodes that don't even include the characters that I'm sure we'll get to. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really key piece. If you look at the way Earn's trajectory and and the people around Earn Mm -hmm. behave the yeah. breadth of of experience that they have yeah. to me mirrors a bit of Donald Glover's career and life experience wow. and and it's something that wow. i think he seems like he always wants to express but doesn't want to be so on the nose about it and doesn't right. like to to call it out necessarily but it it seems to be fairly reflective of like you know yeah. you, you write what you know kind of thing yeah for sure he's always seemed a little bit I mean, I, I don't know him. I've never met him like you. Uh, but he he's always seemed a little bit, like you were kind of saying, like a little bit elusive or intentionally ambiguous about his background and especially the art that he makes. Like, I think we talked about this on the the season three episode, but This Is America is like, that was like one of my favorite like pieces of art that came out in the year that it came out. I, I think it was 2020, if I remember correctly, or 2019. Probably before the 2019. Yeah, and uh, I was like flabbergasted by that video and that song and what he was doing. And, and then he, every time anybody, anyone asked him about it, he refused to talk about it. And I, it's the same thing here with Atlanta. And one of the reasons I think this show is just so worth talking about and diving deep into even in like a philosophical sense, because the show is saying and doing so many things underneath the surface level commentary or, or the simple plot points that the story introduces to you from episode to episode. There's so much subtext underneath everything and what it's doing and saying. It's pretty incredible in the very literal sense of the word incredible. It's like it's almost not even real sometimes. It's just how insane the events play out in the episodes and what it's actually saying and doing underneath the character development and the simple points of contention and things like that. And I do often wonder, I'm like, where is this coming from? Because I know it's it's not just Donald, but his brother, Stephen, is also one of the writers and contributors. And Hiro Mirai also seems to have like another large voice. Do you have any inclination or feeling about those other two guys as far as like voices in the show or no specific expertise I have other than I watch whatever else they're doing because they, I'm like, if you're involved in this at that level, yeah, I'm interested in what you're going to do next or, or on the side or whatever. And yeah, uh, yeah definitely like hero Mirai, like every little music video I've seen that he's on, I know nothing about his background. I just am like, all right, you're doing interesting stuff. And and really perspective is, a, I think, a good word for the show because from a writing standpoint, from how the show is presented visually, even like the way that they like, how are they going to show the word Atlanta for the title <laughs> in each yeah. episode? Right. Really interesting perspectives through and through that feel fresh and different. And like for as much TV is out there for as much of like, I watch a lot of stuff and it just because it, you know, I I enjoy lots of things that also I feel like I've seen a hundred times before. Sure. I've never watched a moment of Atlanta. Like there's a million references, but everything feels fresh and new and original to me. 
in and in a way that you don't see too often. And I think you said something early that's really important, which is like there are shows, there are shows or pieces of art that are like, yeah, these are like really heady, and you got to think about it, and you finish it, and you don't even know what really happened. And this threads the needle consistently over and over, where it's like, I know what happened. I know generally on the surface what happened, mm-hmm. but I really have to spend time thinking about like, but what were they trying to say beyond that? And mm-hmm. and what having it both be sort of intelligible as an mm-hmm. individual episodic narrative and also have so much more to say and jumping genres from episode to episode completely and utterly changing what the show is. Yeah. The the thing that kept coming back to me in how I would characterize the show is confidence. Like the confidence to the next episode throw you into something brand new mm-hmm. and just be like we're just going to do this and we're going to do it well and you're going to come with us yeah. because we have your hand and like you're safe with us. Right. And and like you can get halfway into an episode that has not yet shown a single character from the show and go like, <laughs> well, I'm still going to watch because I got to know that they're doing this well, whatever it is. I don't yeah. know what it is. And, yeah. I, and I'm riveted because who knows what could happen. Yeah. And it just feels unexpected and fresh and, and different than essentially anything I've ever seen. Yeah. 100%. I couldn't have said it better. And the, the level of who knows what's going to happen at any given moment, it, it's always keeping me on my seat, which is one of the reasons I said in the season three episode, it's this show stresses me out. Like it, it stresses me out in a way nothing else does because there is this massive level of realism to it at the same time. It's like these people could die at any moment. And I feel, I feel that weight of like the, it feels like these characters are real and they're experiencing life in the most sometimes mundane and normal way. But it, it comes across as very like ethereal and dreamlike to where you just don't know if you're living in a reality or if you're not. But the fact that it feels real while you're watching it, they thrust themselves sometimes into these situations that are uh, very scary or dark or um, uh, elusive or obfuscated and as the viewer you don't really even know what's happening and because you you can't really get a grasp on what's real there's this level of an easiness that happens as i watch the show dread yeah it's that constant feeling of dread that that gabe and i have talked about where it comes to like horror adjacent stuff that is getting more and more popular with like robert eggers and ari aster but it's also like that grounded in reality and i feel like that's what atlanta is it's that kind of dread grounded in reality and there's a real fear so much so that when i'm watching this show i can only watch one episode a night i can't binge this show i have to take it one episode at a time (laughs) and give it my full attention and thought process like that 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 i don't do with anything else almost nothing because i watch media like i play chess like i'm constantly analyzing it as i'm watching it and i can kind of predict what's going to happen with atlanta it is bonkers it's just off the wall bonkers and it scares the shit out of me and i you're not in control (laughs) i'm not in exactly exactly i'm not in control well put yeah i'm just not in control i mean like Every season has like a like an episode, for example, where they put Paperboy through some insane thing. Like he like he he's probably gonna die by the end of the episode, and you don't know if he's gonna live or die. And season four's was absolutely insane. But I'm I'm just stressed the whole time. Is like he, all he wants is 
peace and beauty in his life, but he he can never achieve it. And that's what the, the whole episode. Every time it happens in each season, it's that arc. It's he wants peace and beauty, and he's just looking to chill out and be normal, but he can't because there's something chasing him usually, and and it's it's that feeling of constantly being chased that this show implements into me as I'm watching it, and it makes it so that I, you can't digest this show, you can't approach this show in the same way with that other shows, and I don't know any other shows currently that are doing that same thing. I would say the last time I saw something like this was in 2017 with Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah, I was going to bring up Twin Peaks as well. It seems like the only other big-time absurdist take. Yes. Maybe Louie a little bit here and there. Yeah. But, yeah, this it, it seems like... But differently than... And it's why I brought up that term of confidence. Something you both just said, like, the idea of, like, you, the viewer, are not in control. Like, mm-hmm. and which is very different than most shows that are like well written and well structured. Like all shows, they are they are made to make you feel like you're in control, so that you like, yeah, feel surprised when you want to feel surprised, mm-hmm. and that's satisfying. But this show is made to not give you that, but differently than sometimes when you get into absurdist anything, mm-hmm. they're in control. Mm-hmm. They they've got it. I don't for one second think that they're like spinning a wheel and a random thing is happening because they are just like, eh, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. They have a hundred reasons why each thing happens. I just don't know what they are. And that's exciting to me as a viewer in a way that you just do not get too often in any media, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think we could keep talking about this same fact for the entire time, just about <laughs> why the show is so set apart and so good but i think we should tell the story of how and why you ended up at donald glover's house once (laughs) to not keep people Uh, waiting we definitely have to give some details so it doesn't seem like uh, it's more important or i'm more important (laughs) than it is it is literally that i believe it was 2011 when i was half employed and had a lot more time on twitter than i currently do (laughs) and was very excited about following anything Donald Glover had to say. He happened to tweet like uh, basically it was near New Year's and he said, you know, first fans that tweet back to me can go to a secret show in L.A. And I quickly responded and message texted my friends and they quickly responded. And surprisingly, they didn't he didn't say what the show was or anything like that. But like it was very cryptic. They emailed details and basically when it all played out, it, w- it was essentially, as far as I know, the downtown LA loft that he was living in, he was moving out of and wanted to do like a New Year's bash yeah. farewell to the, to the loft, which if you listen to his early stuff, he literally has like a lyric that says like, there's an upstairs downstairs in my loft. Like that's the loft he's talking about. And when he was moving out, he's like, I- I'll do a New Year's show for some fans on Twitter. So it became this... uh event that only people that responded on Twitter showed up to and got mm-hmm. an invite to. I would say there were probably 70 people total in the entire place. And we were Damn. there for like five hours and it like, we didn't know it was going to be his house when we showed up and we realized like, Oh, this is his apartment. <laughs> like all the furniture's out that I remember distinctly the, the fridge like was one of the only pieces of real furniture in there and you opened it up. And it was just stacked with Bud Light top to bottom. like, And and it was just like, have your Bud Light or whatever. Yeah. There was no like, it didn't feel like a real show. It felt like you showed up and you're like, oh, we're all 
somewhat awkwardly here at his house and yeah. his his buddy uh dc pearson who was in his like early comedy group that before he was in anything like they were doing stuff together was like djing and uh and like i at the time i definitely knew who that guy was so went up and like talked to him and uh friends of mine went with us we had a dance party in his living room and at so one wild. point it was said that I dance battled him because my friend was setting up a situation that I did not know was happening. And uh, I, I, I will leave it to whoever was there to decide who won or who lost. But did you actually uh, dance battle him? Yeah, I, I really did. Me and him danced in a circle at the same time. I don't know if that's what a dance battle is. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, it was like, speaking of surreal, yeah. like I look back on that in my life as who I am and go like, Okay, I did all that. Like, I was the first person on the dance floor at yeah. his party, which was just a weird yeah. thing yeah. to happen. But it was it was awesome. And he literally performed a show, like, did five songs, including a song he wrote for New Year's for that night that Whoa. I have, like, the live recording of, plus the recorded version that he did later. Wow. Uh, it was... It was fantastic but um but yeah no i was also just a massive community fan so like i was going to all his shows and i would see like danny pooty from community or event nicole brown from community right. in the audience and i'd go up and like talk to them and say i'm a huge fan and get a photo with them so i have like photos with all almost all everybody but chevy chase i think uh the community members <laughs> because so i was cool. just like a weird diehard fan and and yeah, like I said, I was literally like at his first LA rap show, uh, yeah. and have a bunch of video and stuff. I, I'm a big big fan of who he has become, especially, but also like his journey has been like so amazing to watch for sure. And and you mentioned him being mysterious. I would say if you watch his early stuff to his later stuff, I think he realized it was going to benefit him yeah. to to not be as open. Uh, later on, like he, he was very open in his yeah. early stuff and very like, I think he had a lot to get out. And then he realized like, I, okay, I think mm -hmm. I need to be a bit more uh, disconnected yeah. in a way that probably helped him personally mm -hmm. as, as well as he got more famous and big. Like it's probably hard to do all that if you're that open. For sure. Did you ever meet Alison Brie? Only had a tweet exchange with her. Huh. I invited her to a show uh, in the very room you're recording this in. I received a tweet back from her <laughs> and it was, it was a big moment for me. I was a big fan. <laughs> I believe I ran up and down the halls being like, no one knows who this is, but like she responded to me and she said she's interested in the show that I said that she could have a ticket to. So yeah, uh, nothing came of it, but <laughs> that's, that's, I'd be just as excited. Trust me. Um, it really yeah. does sound like a precursor to Atlanta as an episode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this new thing. We're like in the middle of the episode. We'll take a break and introduce a song, just a random song that like we're into at that moment. Do you have one that you could think off the top of your head that you're like, you're vibing to lately these days? Just personally? Just like personally having nothing yeah. to do with the show? It's like a song, yeah, literally like a song recommendation. My my son Nolan and I have been dancing to David Bowie's Magic Dance because it makes him laugh like no other song makes him laugh. So I'm vibing to the sounds of my son laughing to me holding his arms out, singing <laughs> dance, magic, dance, <laughs> jump, magic, jump. Yeah, so that that's that's my track there you personally. Go. It's beautiful. <laughs> 
And here's David Bowie's track. <laughs> I saw my baby crying before this babe could cry. What could I do? I guess we should just jump into the show and talking about some of the crazy things that happened. I don't think, I mean, we can go episode by episode, but I think we could just also talk about the things that stuck out to us the most. It'd be probably more free flowing that way. Yeah. Tim laid the groundwork pretty well when he said they're back in Atlanta now. Yeah. And they're pretty well off compared to how they were at the start. Yes. Paperboy's career is going really well. And Ern as Paperboy's manager is doing really well. His relationship with uh, Van, Van, yeah, and their child together, their their families getting closer together, and um, Darius is there as always. the the <laughs> The whole thing is just kind of winding down, especially towards the end, and they all get some closure to some extent. Yeah. So it felt like a really nice way to end the show. Yeah. It also, I mean, as far as endings go, <laughs> it definitely was a great ending. I didn't have anything wrong with how they ended it, or the fact that. It, it, the whole season kind of felt like it was winding down. I'm just really sad to see it end. Yeah. Because yeah. it's this amazing work of art. Like every episode has been a journey, you know, like a roller coaster kind of journey uh, because of that stress and the fear <laughs> that I was talking about earlier. But I'm really, really sad to see it go. And I think well, that's one of the largest sentiments that I can't express enough that I'm I'm really sad to see something so amazing uh not continue anymore but i also understand all the the four main characters uh the actors that play them their careers are just like they're just popping off they're just launching in all these different directions and so (laughs) it, it makes sense while they're like yeah we should probably just wrap this up and 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 continue on with our lives but the work that they're doing like the art that they're they're contributing to you know, the content that we're getting is unlike any content I've ever seen. Again, like I was saying, Sans, like, like, and I mean that when I, when I compare this to other contemporary things, uh, there's nothing else like it. I've heard people say that like Legion kind of dips into, have you, have you watched all of Legion? I, I watched all of Legion. I would say it it's, it's, it's weird also, but yeah. I would not even put it in the same class as the way, I mean, just again, the, I keep coming back to the confidence to do an episode that does not include a single character from yeah. the rest of the show. Yeah. Like that's not happening in Legion. Right. Like Legion was still like a, a little more Structured. straightforward, yeah. odd show. Yeah. But I will say yeah. the, the thing that I use to console myself that it's over is 
a quote from a movie that I love, which is you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> like the worst case scenario is yeah. Atlanta like runs out of steam. Like you don't want to see Atlanta run out of steam. Sure. Like let's let, I thought they ended it with gas in the tank and I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that is very, very wise of them, I think. Or, or gas in the tractor. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, that episode was like, I felt like that was like a, like a Coen brothers. Yeah. Like a no country for old men level, just like suspense constantly, but, but like lower stakes, but yeah. not somehow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just remembered this and I have to ask you, cause there's like a whole extra added layer for Tim because of your love for goofy movie. Oh my like God. between you oh and God. Can you can you just explain to me what you felt when I, when so, you saw that like pop up on the screen? So the the episode that I continually reference the confidence to make an episode that does not yeah. include any yeah. characters from the show is is an episode. I feel like it's unspoilable because it's unrelated <laughs> to the rest of the show other than tone and quality, but it's yeah. essentially a documentary that eventually <laughs> you're you're like depending on your knowledge of disney history and and <laughs> goofy movie history you might not be certain that it's a mockumentary <laughs> it you might be pretty sure it's a documentary uh-huh. for most of it if not all of it mm-hmm. and uh but it's essentially about like the history of the making of the goofy movie a movie i absolutely <laughs> love and and have a deep history with but i was watching that episode going Okay, this is my Truman Show moment. Like, yeah. the world's made for me. Yeah, and and yes. I understand that now. Yeah. Like, we can all come out and reveal yeah. it now. This yeah. is like you've gone too far. Yeah. So yeah, and 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 I will say, our mutual friend JP, I immediately texted him after I finished watching that episode and said, "You don't watch this show. I don't care. Go to Hulu yeah. and watch yeah. season four, episode eight. You don't have to know anything about the show. Just go watch that episode. Yeah. No context needed. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And it, it's, it is in and of itself an incredible work of art that yeah. it is hard to understand why it exists. Yes. But, uh, but it, 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 but it definitely was incredibly put together and, and felt, uh, oddly close yeah. to home. For so many reasons. Yeah. So there were a few episodes in season three that did similar things where they they left the cast aside and they they told a different story. Like there was the case for reparations episode and there was the episode about the family and the, the caretaker who died and then they ended up going to her funeral. There's that episode. And then there's the other one that was the season starter, which was three slaps. Uh, yeah, it was the one where the little boy was on the run. It was it was a historical revisionist uh, fictional story about like you know the kid that they found that the foster di- family. Yeah, yeah, that died in real life. But like this one, this season, the Goofy movie mockumentary, I don't know how it fits as far as like social commentary goes. I mean, like with within the greater part of Atlanta and, and what the show has done, it wasn't like doing anything as I, I would say as like monumental, it was more like, it just felt like it, they did it for fun almost. And that was also one of the only episodes. I think there were only two this season that I saw, maybe three that were actually directed by Donald Glover himself. And I'm like, dude, was he just 
having fun with that episode. It definitely felt like a passion project, yeah. but I will say there was a, there was this interesting tone of someone coming to success and power that the system didn't intend for, mm. and then them doing something with that power that the system did not intend. Mm. And I would imagine that he probably feels that Atlanta and this is America mm-hmm. are probably just two examples of him potentially doing that. Like, I mean, I've heard, I don't know if it's substantiated, but I've heard that he literally like had to pretend like the show Atlanta was something else to get it on the air, uh, like something more standard. He pitched it as something more like community yeah. and then just like did his thing with it right. and and stuck to it. Uh, you, again, that's like something I read on the internet. Don't know if that's true. Yeah. But 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 again, like I think if when you're talking about theme, that's why I kept coming back to like, is this whole show very loosely threaded, like echoes of his experience as who he is, including like coming to success in a system that's not set up for him necessarily, but he has succeeded within it. To me, that's what that episode, if you had to peg where it fits in, that's where it fits in for me. Yeah. No, that's very, very well said. And, and it, it gives me a lot to think about. Like I said, with most things, I can I can think quickly and maybe come to a, uh, I can come to a point where I can, I can comment. But with that, I, it actually makes me just want to, I, with this show, I just want to go away and I want to think about something for a lot longer than I often have time to. One more bit of context on that. I think the if you listen to his early rap lyrics where he was more expressive about himself, he had started to get success and was clearly proud. He talks about like how he, that relates to his father and his father being proud of him or but he mm. like as he gets the success you like hear this loneliness right. uh that that like comes along with the success and i saw that in the character yeah. that finds success somewhat accidentally through a loophole <laughs> in the system there's this loneliness that he has and i wondered if that was some like sort of working through expression mm. or or you know sure. intentional or not like uh, if that was some echo of what he felt as he found success and maybe didn't find the community that he hoped to find. And it seems like maybe he's found that now, but, but early in his career, it, you, you could definitely see that playing a part. Yeah. That's again, a very astute observation. Thinking back about uh, on that episode, I had just watched that pretty recently, like a week ago. Yeah. He, that character was portrayed as like a young black artist who everyone was making fun of growing up, very outcast, ostracized, and then when he got into the community that he thought he'd be accepted in, he was still an outcast, like still ostracized. And he was voted in to be the CEO of Disney by by an accident because people mistook him because he had like a white name or something. Right. So, no, that, that's that's really on point and uh, food for thought for sure. There's also another label. I, I didn't even consider that stuff because I was so caught up in the goofy movie angle in terms of like fatherhood yeah. because my first read on it was all even though it was a mockumentary I thought the through line was pretty direct about talking about like black fathers in society and their relationships mm-hmm. with their sons mm-hmm. so that was my, my first get out of that was like the way society mm-hmm. enforces through you know whether it's systemic racism or all this other more subliminal stuff the, these the qualities of this role onto the parent and how he's like a, not necessarily aloof, but like remote often and how a lot of, you know, young boys will grow up without really having that relationship with their father. Mm-hmm. I thought that was what it was trying to do. But the whole thing about success was like, 
pretty pretty amazing to hear yeah i was also trying to figure out how they got the rights to all that footage like how what, how did they do that you know fx is owned by disney right or hulu oh is it no oh, that makes sense i feel like it's for, it's they just can do that i mean i'm sure donald or someone asked yeah know? that's wild another standout of this season was the the episode where they all end up at the mall and it, there's like that massive shootout and there was something that happened in that episode that made me laugh out loud. What was it? It was when the kid runs up to rap for Paperboy. <laughs> no, it, no. During the shooting. No. Was that it? And then Paperboy shoves him aside, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like, they're, they're in the middle of the shooting. <laughs> and the kid runs up because he's like, this is my chance. And he raps. <laughs> he starts rapping. And he's like, my life's like a movie. <laughs> Uzi, jacuzzi. And then Paperboy instantly shoves him into the glass of the store and <laughs> runs away. <laughs> the absurdity oh and then also at the same time darius and Ern are stuck in the van trying to get the shoes and they're oh yeah kissing each other (laughs) (laughs) that episode was like insane like on next level this kiss ain't gonna french itself (laughs) that's what he said six minutes six minutes six minutes yeah that was so that was so wild it was very situational comedy i mean that episode but I was just dying laughing. I haven't laughed that hard in a long time, probably since Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> yeah, that was a belly slapper. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the camping episode. I think it was like the snipe episode. That was like probably the most grounded, realistic episode we've gotten uh, in a long time. It's an episode where Ern, Van, and what's their daughter's name? Lottie. Lottie. Yeah, Lottie. They all go camping, and at some point, an an actual snipe turns up. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. Wait, did you... So did you all have, like, snipe hunts in your past, in your childhood? Was that a normal thing? Yeah. Okay. Because it was definitely a part of my family, but I did not know that was, like, a universal thing. So that was another one where I'm like, okay, so this show's made for me. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. At some point, I think, like, I, I was probably about eight years old, and someone came up and said, we should go snipe hunting. And I'm like, what is it? And they're like, you got to go do this and bang sticks together and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this sounds fake. Like, you know, like, no, it's real. Like, um, But the fact that, you know, there was actually something in the bag and then it ran away. But the the groundedness of that episode and the heart really comes through. And it, it's really the moment, I think, I don't think I've ever seen the characters be so honest before. At the end of season three, Van is on it, like on another planet. You know, she's pretending to be French. Yeah. She's fighting people with baguettes. And then in this episode, I think it was episode seven of season four. It was like closer to the end. It was wrapping up stories and, and putting, you know, people together, back together. Ern confesses he's like in love with her and will do anything to be with her. And he like puts it all on the line. And and she responds, you know, in the way that you would want someone to respond when you when you tell them that. And it's a very honest moment and a very beautiful moment in a show that's full of kind of chaos and, and craziness and, and people kind of being disingenuine. The honesty and the realism that came through in that episode, apart from like the actual snipe that showed up, was really, really nice. Like it was such a nice moment to have. And I just really wanted to call that out. Yeah. And I think from the very beginning of those two characters' relationship together and individually, they have seemed to me so guarded mm-hmm. and so yes. like they've got layers and layers and layers of protection yes. up 
and sometimes that come out comes out in strange absurdist ways and sometimes it comes out in very like realistic like real person relationship ways but like neither of them were sort of willing to just say like whether this can work or not i want to give it a try and i will be sad if it doesn't you know like it doesn't work out like that and that that like you said it was like refreshing as a, a sort of turn for the characters and a development to really feel like they could have that honesty and yeah. and it felt uh no pun intended earned like they <laughs> they had worked their way towards that individually mm-hmm. and watching like you know uh two people that were in a relationship and then weren't and then sort of went sideways and and are seeing if they can bring it back together or not like Mm-hmm. it's odd that it felt so real for a show that's so unreal. And, yeah. and, and that's, and to me, that's again, like the artistry yeah. to pull that off is really impressive. Yeah. I mean, thinking about where they were, like when, when van first shows up in Europe, like Ern doesn't even know that she's there. Like he, she, he's like, are you staying here in this hotel? And he's trying to like help her, but she, she's a very guarded character, I think, cause she's been hurt. And so, yeah, I, I agree. It's just, it was a really tender, beautiful moment. I, I, I did not expect. It also wasn't cheesy, you know, in the way that it could have been. It was done in like in the most tasteful way that left you satisfied. It really tied up that loose end of, I like the word you used of guarded because that's exactly how it felt. Van has always been a very guarded character very difficult for me to relate to she's honest in the tent and then i love her response after he like confesses his love for her she's just like are you cold like basically saying like (laughs) she's inviting him in for the first time like since the show started you know yeah i think maybe in in season one she had reached out a couple times and Ern was really distant because he's trying to get his life together he's trying he's always working you know that's that's one of Ern's uh character traits he's like really hard worker, very driven. He's always trying to get on top, on top. He's always trying to get new clientele and so forth. So, But I think that's also a form of being guarded too. Like I think he wasn't, you know, he could have been vulnerable and honest Mm -hmm. in those moments as he's trying to climb his way up, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't and he didn't. And Mm -hmm. so like, I think it's important that they were both guarded in different ways and that they both let it down, you know, in that tent for that moment. Yeah, the other grounded episode I just remembered was the therapy episode. I think it was episode two where he's lying on the floor of his therapist's office and he's talking about, was it Princeton that he went to or Yale? I think so. Yeah, that they invited him back to to speak and, and he was talking about his feelings about that and how he felt like it was only because he was a success story for being, you know, the color of skin that he had and and then like the whole revenge story with the girl with the book and and the the oh my gosh i couldn't even believe that but that was another episode that was it was less stressful for me to watch but it was it was also very telling of where Erin was at and what kind of journey he's been on since the beginning where he didn't really have a lot and now he has enough to kind of screw other people over and then him kind of coming to the realization at the end of that episode that that's probably not the best thing. He's like, I need to go to therapy again <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> I love that episode too. Cause for me, it was easier to watch less stressful. And I love getting those little moments of clarity, those moments of honesty and groundedness that it really feels satisfying for the whole story, finishing the four season story arc for that character, you know, loved it a lot. 
And then the Paperboy episode, I think, came pretty soon after that, where was it the W? The WYA. The WYA. Young or white, young. Yeah, young white avatar. Uh, young white <laughs> <Y-W-A>. avatar. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much to say about that episode. I mean, that was the same one where Ern goes on his spiritual quest to find D'Angelo. D'Angelo. Essentially. Oh, my God. That's the same <laughs> Which, episode? Yeah. That, that was a perfect example of at the end of the episode, I sat there and was like, I do know what happened. But what happened? Like, like there's there's so much more that I don't understand here yeah. than what than what happened on the surface. And and I like you said, I just have to like sit there and think about it. But it was really interesting social commentary with the young white avatar, as far as everything from music business uh, to I mean, just you got to watch the episode to get into the details of it. But it was yeah. interesting for sure. Yeah. Also showing like the generational divide, especially in the music industry or like in any like pop culture industry right now with having young people be in such a different place than older artists. You know, I think that was one of the first times we've seen that here in this show. But I liked that they threw that in apart from the episode in season three where <laughs> you had the uh, light skinned black kid who could have been white or black. And that whole thing where he tried to burn the school down. Holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then episode one was also insane. That stressed me out. Because there's always at least one episode, if not a couple episodes, where there's like a character who's like chasing another character the whole time. In this episode, it was a, a white woman in a wheelchair with a knife chasing Darius all throughout Atlanta. <laughs> that was based on a real situation when all the conflict happened in Minnesota. There was actually yeah. a woman in like a rascal scooter or a wheelchair with a knife, like at one of the retail stores that was like, I don't know if she was threatening or actually attacking people that were at the stores, but yeah, it was based on actual events, but it definitely felt like the movie. Mm. It follows. Uh, yes. With, totally with like, is. More realistic dread, but also I'm laughing at it. But also every time I laugh, I'm like, but I'm not really laughing. Like, because this is terrifying. Like, I, this person exists. Like, (laughs) you got to watch out for them. Yeah. That was also the one with the scavenger hunt funeral that uh, Paperboy goes after. Ends up at the guy's. Yeah, for Blue Blood. Yeah. Ends up at the guy's funeral and there's only been a couple people there after a while. (laughs) Yeah. And we got it. Okay. So one of the other standout episodes of the season is the one where Van takes Lottie to the set, you know, and she's acting for the day. The other episode that was directed by Donald Glover. This episode, Gabe, you should talk about this episode because I, I don't even know how to begin talking I think about this it. was my favorite episode, which was shocking because it didn't have any of the guys in it. I mean, it kind of did, but <laughs> it was a Van episode and she takes Lottie to this movie lot, this series. Of, it was like a, like a Jordan Peele style studio. Yeah. I mean, the tone, but... The tone was that, but it was basically a Tyler Perry movie factory, right? <laughs> and uh, she, over the course of the episode, she loses Lottie to the system. Lottie keeps getting pulled around the lot to different... Uh, a Lottie. Yeah, to different studios and to different shows and becomes a part of the, the system, a cog in the wheel for, for Mr. Chocolate, who is <laughs> running this entire show from, from somewhere, somewhere mysterious, and he communicates through the intercom and just directs everybody... And time has lost all meaning here. And it's like another almost purgatory 
realm where yeah. everyone's just kind of existing on the lot. And then she eventually confronts Mr. Chocolate by the end after working <laughs> through all these stereotypes and almost like being in her own meta story like that is a, another Tyler Perry story. Like she meets all these kooky characters, these stereotypes, and she confronts Mr. Chocolate at the end who I, I think was Donald Glover, right? Yeah. In another incredible Teddy Perkins style get up. Yeah. Which was my other favorite episode in season two. And uh, such an early episode. He just lays it all down for her plot wise and Lottie comes in and she, Lottie wants to be in the system now, but Van pulls her out and takes her home and explains basically that, you know, I have to help you make these decisions because you don't really know what you want right now, but yeah. you know, one day you will. Yeah. It was, it was just an amazing, like that was one of the episodes where I was like on the edge of my seat. Yes. It was so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, she's like fighting for her life. She's, she literally, they like kidnapped her daughter almost. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, she's like searching and searching and searching. She finds herself at Mr. Chocolate's building. She goes inside and it's like a vortex. It's like black. She's like climbing ladders and like yeah. is in this like tunnel system. And it's like a never ending kind of feeling of, of getting lost in this dark maze. of It's a nightmare. Void. It, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a literal nightmare. I, I'm stressed just thinking about it right now. <laughs> but I think something, so I did know like from just Hollywood news that like Tyler Perry has a massive studio in Atlanta where he makes all his movies. So I was presuming that this is like a not that thinly veiled right. commentary on that. And and I, I think Atlanta does a really nice job, at least from my perspective, taking issues that are like, okay, so Donald Glover or the people that are in charge of the show, mm-hmm. what's your take on Tyler Perry movies? And like, you've created this like almost nightmarish caricature situation where he's making all these movies. But then you also add in that like, also, he's employing so many people and creating all this stuff that really supports the community. And is that bad? Like, yeah. should we be mad at him for the art that he's making that is supporting a community? It doesn't, to me, you don't walk away going like, there's a clear perspective there from the show. It yeah. just presented it in a really, a way that's worth talking about. Yeah. And and also, you know, it's not a documentary. It's it's still a narrative entertaining show. Mm-hmm. But but it just, it just, to me, this show is one of the best types of conversation starters. And, and I, I always come back to like, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing for me is the first time I ever saw a movie where it was like, Presents an issue, puts it in your face very aggressively, but also doesn't really give you the answer. It's mm. not like, and here's what we want you to think. It's like, nope, here it is. Figure it out for yourself. You do with it what you want. Mm-hmm. And and I, I've always loved that concept of like, don't tell me what to think. Mm-hmm. Present me with a perspective and let me talk to people about it through the yeah. use of, of art to elevate it. And And to totally. me, this is like, a much lighter hearted and weirder version of something like that, where it's like a complex issue that doesn't have a, a a true, like one answer or another, but, but it's a conversation starter in a really good way. I I definitely love that one. Totally. That's a really good point. I also think within that episode, there's a little bit of commentary about child acting and, and the kind of uh, insane void that, that, child actors can get sucked into i'm listening to a podcast right now there's some child actors that i used to watch growing up and they're always like discussing that and how intense it was and how lost they all got in it and 
it's really intense. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people really think about that, but there could have been a commentary within that as far as like Van trying to go through the void and, and, and trying to get her daughter back. So, yeah, I think we touched on it briefly, but the Paperboy episode where he's out on the farm, yeah. <laughs> that one is yeah. a, you can almost watch that one just completely by itself and have it like, it's, yeah. it's so well made, like you wouldn't have some of the context, but it is, I watched that one just saying like, okay, this is perfectly executed mm-hmm. in every possible way. And it's nothing like any of the rest of this. And it just almost feels too good to be true when it's so perfectly done. Yeah. So yeah, like there's, there's not much to say other than like, it's a, it's another example of why like this show must be watched. Yeah. I think the only other episode was the one with Ern and his family and the crazy aunt. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That also has his dad at the mall hat uh-huh. <laughs> with the hat. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was to me showing that episode was showing kind of family, family aspects that probably had some personal story for Donald Glover. You know Donald better than I do, Tim. You might <laughs> hit him up. I, Get him on the podcast. I, you know, I'll, I'll reach out through channels that I don't have. <laughs> that episode also had the great cameo from Cat Williams, who's working the grill while Byrne's parents and aunts and uncles were all on the phone as siblings, you know, within their family, mm-hmm. talking about the oh Byrne's mom eloping with yeah. their grandfather. Yeah, there were some really funny bits in that. Yeah. The the humor in the show is so is always so tonally perfect. It's it's intensely perfect. That's for sure. I always forget that they're cousins, as well. I don't really think about that until like they introduce that family dynamic. Are they actually cousins? No, 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 not in real life. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But I mean in the show, I forget that they're, that they're cousins in the show. Yeah. Their moms were sisters, right? Is it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the finale episode yeah, yeah, yeah. made me want to go to Popeyes. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, Popeyes is one of the best of its type. I've never been. Ooh, I gotta, you gotta go. Get in there. I don't even know where the nearest Popeyes is. They're all over, are they? Yeah, they they are, but I just I have no idea where the closest one. I have to go. But this episode, the season finale episode, series finale episode, was probably my favorite of the whole season, at least, <laughs> because of I, I'm like a sucker for Darius. Like I love Darius as a character. Uh, I don't understand him a lot but i really like the surrealist aspect that he kind of brings because he's he's always kind of in that dream space he's like either cognizant or or not really conscious of what's going on he, he's like on, he's on our level of like both spiritually philosophically but he also could be on a lower level and you never really know where he's going to come from as far as the perspective that he brings there's some really funny moments in this episode as well. But essentially, this episode is about him floating, in uh, which is like a real thing. I've, I have actually a gift certificate to do this. I've never done it. but Sensory deprivation. Sensory tank. deprivation tanks. You go in, you float. It takes away... It's complete. It's pretty silent. And it takes away your ability to... I don't know, feel like you're in your body. It almost like separates your consciousness a little bit from your physical body. And um, it gives you some some space or some mental capacity to kind of focus on other things apart from the, your physical needs in a way. And Darius talks about kind of getting lost in this and he meets someone in a drugstore that also commiserated with him about like potentially getting lost while experiencing floating. 
And he says, he says what he do, his trick is that when he watches Judge Judy, <laughs> <laughs> that if Judge Judy is thick, <laughs> he's still in the tank. He's still in the tank. <laughs> it's like the Inception. Totem. You, know, t- you need your totem, yeah, to hold on to and. And you can't tell anybody. I have. I didn't even think about that, but, but that's totally. Oh yeah, what it is. It's, that's it's how it a reference too. for sure. I know. He, it, and it, and the show ends with but he, him. But he told someone about it, so now he oh, can't trust it. True. That's why we can never know. Oh my gosh! But see, the show ends with him smiling <laughs> while while watching Judge Judy, and you don't really know if what you're seeing is real or if it's not real, and that's that's the brilliance of the show. And it, it's a perfect way to end because it's not only a statement about that episode or Darius's experience with floating and the reality and, and how he interacts with his friends within that episode, but it's it's an end cap for the whole show in its entirety. It's like the whole thing could have been a dream, you know. Well, and I and I think it's a, a nice little um, sort of philosophical statement also that like obviously we knew that none of the show was documentary and actually happened, but also so many things in it are important and relevant to the world we actually live in. And Mm -hmm. that does happen. And there are references to things that did happen. And I think even if you think about dreams, like dreams that your brain manufactures, like while they are not true, they have bearing in reality because they are formed from uh, an understanding of your consciousness. So like Mm -hmm. you can learn things from your dreams that you didn't learn in real life because it presented it in this weird, absurdist, strange way, but you still, you woke up with a better understanding of something. Yeah. And I think that that, that like, is it real or isn't it? That's a fun one to do. Just like, you know, for inception, you can debate all day. Like does the top fall or doesn't it? Does yeah. it, was it all real? Is he, did he end up in there? But like at the end of the day, like what we know is that the lessons and the things you can take away from it are real. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that to me, that's something that's really important about the show is like for as fun and weird and different as it is, there's really valuable lessons to be learned and conversations to be had about it, that this can help start. And for sure at the risk of sounding too important, like it's an important show. Like, yeah. I think it's an important show for people to watch. Yeah. I think it's maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but it's like for the issues that it brings up, you could definitely bring them up in a way that is so exhausting mm-hmm. to watch. And mm-hmm. and while we shouldn't shy away from things that are difficult and can exhaust us, it's understandable as we go throughout our normal lives that like yeah. you don't always want to watch a show that's like, well, here's a really heavy approach to this topic. Right. And this show gives everybody the opportunity to go like, yeah, I, this is a weird but entertaining way to also like <laughs> think about important things and talk about important things that in a way you didn't think about before. And, right. And so I really like, I try to make sure, you know, when I talk about it, it's like, it's a show for everybody, honestly. Like it, it, it doesn't mean everybody would like it in the same way, but like it really, I think brings things up in an important way that that is worth talking about and worth sharing. Yeah. Spot on. I, I couldn't agree more on top of its importance within the larger spectrum of society, I guess. One of the things that I love about the show personally is how much it feels like it was also made for me, like like you were saying. <laughs> like, And I, I know you were saying that about for you too, 
but so much of the surrealist nature of the show and the absurdist nature of the show is how much I, that's how I feel on like a daily basis. <laughs> and, and I'm always saying like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills cause I feel like I'm alone out here thinking one way and no one is seeing the things that I'm seeing. And I feel crazy. Like I feel like I'm just like living in a, in a dream state almost some, a lot of the time. So I, I just heavily relate with anything, any, any artist that is producing art at this level that I call high art because it, that's essentially what it is. It's high because it is philosophical and mentalist and is, is, is getting you to think in critical thinking ways. And it's not just the weed. <laughs> that too. That's, hey. that's too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so I, I just personally relate with it and, that, and that's why not only does it affect me on this deep level, but as you said, I think it will be like when all is said and done, if we look back at this era during this contemporary time of, of television and, and other film making, both in movies and television, Atlantic could be perceived as like one of the most important historical artistic works for motion picture that we may get in these couple decades. You know what I mean? That really encapsulates and, and provokes thought through its art, through the art form that it's using. You know what I mean? Yeah, it certainly stands out. Like you said, there's mm-hmm. nothing like it. And yeah. that's that's rare for sure. Yeah. I, I think one thing we didn't, you know, we I feel like a lot of things we talk about have to do with the directing and the writing. And, and we mentioned that the, the visual perspective is really interesting. But also, like, I don't think it gets enough attention for the acting. Like, like you said, like the Lakeith Sanfield is so like you cannot take your eyes away from him when he's yeah. on screen. Yeah. And each of the main leads, you know, really, I, there's no character that shows up that isn't well executed. But of the leads, yeah, it really stands out that they really know who they are. And you do not like even in some of my favorite shows, you get these moments where you're like, okay, this actor is saying a line Mm -hmm. or this actor is like figuring out how they can do this as this character. And throughout this whole show with as weird as it is, you have these anchors of like, well, at least we know these characters are really who they are. And you just like always can stick with them and you need those anchors for a show as strange as it is. Uh, So I I think uh, across the board, the leads really did an absolutely outstanding job in their performances. And the show wouldn't work if they didn't like you mm-hmm. wouldn't if if any of those performances were just so so mm-hmm. the show isn't good. And so it, it kind of like anytime you're doing something this um, different, it's kind of a, a it's a house of cards like it's like <laughs> it can fall apart easily if one element doesn't connect and all of them do. It's, it's really fantastic. They also I mean, just to expand on that a little bit further, every single secondary character that they bring in like just like the day players that they bring in are also all amazing like like Mm -hmm. great actors and they really sell every single moment i mean we got like this random in the last episode we got a random backstory for darius and that he might he might have had a brother and he shows up for like one scene and you're like wow this is just amazing and insightful and this actor is amazing like the, the the people that they get like and at the level that they're playing at, you know, in filming Atlanta season three and four, especially their clout and their pull for getting like any talent that they would want, like from 
whomever you've never heard of before to like Liam Neeson, like the, the people that they're, they're getting on the show, everyone is just incredible. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's really outstanding. Any final thoughts? No. You, you, you both have said everything that I want to say. <laughs> it's perfect. Get, one of, one I of get the... to listen to the podcast while it's being made. <laughs> Go the... watch it. Yeah. That's the thought. Go watch Go it. Go watch it. Gabe, you said you truly love this show. We will never see its like again, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> we really won't. I don't think, I mean, it's like, because even like, like you guys said, there's been other great surrealist works from Twin Peaks uh-huh. content to even like, more mainline stuff like when Sopranos was dipping into surrealism, but which Donald Glover, you know, compared to show to briefly in a deleted tweet, but he stands by it. Uh-huh. Um, but never something of this magnitude where it was all the best things from those things, but it was also so uh, topical and socially relevant, uh-huh. you know, to its time period and to the history of, you know, for sure. I don't want to say mankind. It sounds a little pretentious. <laughs> but that's essentially what it is. It's hitting it's hitting everything. Yeah. Like it, it's firing yeah. on all cylinders creatively, yeah. technically. And uh yeah, it is sad to see it go, but I mm-hmm. uh, smile because it happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> and having just watched The Sopranos all the way through for the first time ever in the last two years, I would say this is a much better show than The Sopranos. <laughs> oh, there you go. I we still have to see it, I think. Both of us. I am shocked to hear you say that, but I love it. I well, love. Well, it's the- like Tim said. Sopranos sh- was important for its time. Yeah, but- and and this show, like Tim said, was also made for him specifically. So yeah, and there you I, go. And I appreciate. I I really think that that party Donald Glover threw was set up to collect my interests so that he could make the show Atlanta for me. So I think everyone there was at were actors, and they were all just <laughs> asking me questions. I probably mentioned the Goofy movie at that party, so it, it really. Yeah, this is it's that all been you. a fun project of his that for me, and I appreciate it. That was all whenever you. he wants to reach out and let me know. Yeah, I, I, I'm ready. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for the invite. I was like, oh my gosh, why haven't I connected these dots? Like Tim, Atlanta, Donald Glover. It's all it's all in one place. <laughs> No, you know I can talk about anything anytime. So I uh last minute or not, I always appreciate the invite. Yeah. And Gabe, it's very good to see you. I love you, Tim. I'd love to talk more about movies and stuff sometime. Uh right here at the end, can either of you think of a song that we could play? If if Tim wants one, we can we can pick it. But I, I selected uh from the soundtrack Marvin Gaye's It Was All a Dream, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was just it was in season four. But if Tim has something else he wants to put here, I was thinking either like cranked at Soldier Boy. Oh yeah, the obvious choice. Or, or you know, the New Year's Eve rap that Donald wrote for the party that I. If you have to. that, Tim, we should use it. <laughs> I do have it. I'll send it all along. You'll have lots of options. <laughs> Soldier Boy, tell. Hey, I got this new dance for y'all called a Soldier Boy. 
Bitch, I got a punch, then crank back three times from left to right. Soldier boy, I finish. Why me crank it? Why me roll? Why me crank that soldier boy? That Superman. Now why me? Crank that soldier. 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 Now what? Soldier boy, I finish. Why me crank it? Why me roll? Why me crank that soldier boy? That Superman. Now why me? Crank that soldier. Now why me? Crank that soldier. Now why me? Crank that soldier. Now why me? Yeah, you can get into this one right. 